If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. Our attention is precious. It's powerful, but it's vulnerable. And that vulnerability is not something to ignore. It's something to train for so that you can essentially ensure you have access to your own peak mind. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. So you're looking ahead at your calendar and that date, it keeps getting closer and closer and closer. The big meeting you've been preparing for is coming at you full steam ahead and just thinking about it already has you nervous and doubting yourself. Or maybe you're thinking about that event in your child's life that you just want to be present for. What will happen when that high stakes event or important negotiation or big decision finally arrives? How will you focus amidst the pressure and the nerves? Dr. Amishi Jha is a professor of psychology at the University of Miami and the director of contemplative neuroscience for the Mindfulness Research and Practice Initiative. Simply put, she is the voice of mindfulness and has dedicated her study to understanding why our attention sometimes fails us and how we can strengthen our attention to improve our performance at work and in life. In this conversation, Dr. Ja will help us all understand how to leverage mindfulness to remain present in high-stakes situations, to lift our mental fog, to provide clarity and improve our focus so we can experience more of our lives. Here she is, Dr. Amishi Ja. This is so exciting. My friend Amy Porterfield and her podcast, Online Marketing Made Easy, are officially on the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you've been around the Gold Digger podcast for a while, you know that Amy is one of the reasons why I launched my own show. Well, now we're BFFs and the rest is podcasting history. With a focus on online business, including digital courses, list building, social media, and webinars, Online Marketing Made Easy breaks down big ideas and strategies into actionable step-by-step processes 
And the show's designed to get you more results with a whole lot less stress. If you like Gold Digger, I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to love Amy's show too. She digs into topics like seven email copywriting tips to convert subscribers and what happens when a launch doesn't go as planned and so much more. Listen to online marketing made easy wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Gold Digger podcast. I am so excited to have you with me today. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you so much for coming. So I have a million questions for you. I feel like literally when I think about interview questions, your interview has probably one of the most questions that I have. We want to jam pack this episode because I am so intrigued and enthralled and curious about exactly what you do. So before we dive on into the meat, can you tell me, I'm just so curious, did you always see yourself pursuing this life and this career in the world of neuroscience or how did that come to to be? Yeah. I mean, initially when I was quite young, I thought I was going to be a medical doctor. And after volunteering in a hospital for a while, I realized, no, this is really, really not for me. But I completely lucked out because one of the assignments I had was in a brain injury unit. And I had the opportunity to actually see, I was there for long enough where I could see people come in. They looked quite compromised. And then by the time they'd leave, they seemed like they'd recovered all these functions. And I became really excited about the brain and the possibility of the brain to change itself through experience and training. And that led me on this path to wanting to study everything I could about uh, the human brain. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. How did you get yourself and your foot in the door? It kind of makes me smile that you had that experience that shifted what you thought you wanted to what you actually wanted. It reminds me of when I was a kid, my mom made me job shadow a vet and I had to watch Fifi get fixed. And I was like, all right, I don't want to be a vet. I just want to snuggle animals. So what was that experience like thinking you were on one path, but then recognizing that like your passions were lighting a spark in a different direction? Yeah. You know, I would say that was pretty early on where I decided that was just right around the time that I started undergrad and then pursued neuroscience. So that was uh, the bulk of my journey. But I would say the big pivot, which I think is part of what you're asking about, just, you know, how we can, how we change our lives in these very profound ways that we might not have ever expected. And you've had such great podcast guests that have talked about that. I just was able to catch your interview with Maya Shankar, which I love. Oh, I'm yes. a fan of hers. As a, a fellow Indian woman, I'm just like, yes. you go. <laughs> she is amazing. She is so incredible. So it's so wild that you say that because topics on neuroscience are super popular on this show. It's something that I'm like, I am so grateful to call upon experts because I am a student of the work that you teach. So can you explain exactly what your specialty is within that field of study? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, it is music to my ears to hear you say that. I love that you're interested in neuroscience. And it's really fun to talk about uh, these topics as they relate to our actual lives. You know, that's, that's yeah. bringing this work out into the world. So my expertise, the thing that I've studied really since I was an undergrad is the cognitive neuroscience of attention. So I'll just say what that, <laughs> that means. That's sort of my field. I'm a cognitive neuroscientist, which means that I'm interested in understanding how important cognitive functions like attention are instantiated within the hardware and software of the brain. And 
you know, there are many reasons that I picked this topic of attention, but the bulk of the work in my lab throughout grad school and then my postdoc years, and even in the early years of my own laboratory, I was at the University of Pennsylvania then, were really anchored around digging in what is this brain system? How does attention work? Uh, we used, you know, sophisticated brain imaging, and we still do, techniques to try to understand at the nuanced level what attention is. And then this very interesting pivot happened to me early on, well, early on, meaning early in my journey as a parent, my son was probably, I don't know, close to three. And I really had my own crisis of attention to the point where I had lost feeling in my teeth from, we found out later, grinding. And I was really lost. I was like, I study this stuff. I should be able to figure this out. (laughs) I should be able to just look at the field, look at the research and come up with a solution to get myself back to being attentive again in my life, which is sort of what I realized is that, you know, I was checked out and I was absent and probably the most poignant moment of this and was sitting there with my son. And I, and I loved, it was precious time. I mean, you have a little one, you understand yes. what that's like. It is just a very precious time. And every night when I, you know, come home from the lab, that was one of my kind of treats is that I get to sit down and read a book to him. And one night, and it's around the same time that this weird teeth thing was happening. He was reading his book. I probably read it a hundred times. <laughs> yeah. And he puts his little hand on the page, like stops me and kind of looks up at me and says, you know, what's a wump? <laughs> and I was like, what is he talking about? I had no idea what he's talking about. And then I like glanced down and I saw the word wump on the page. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have read this story to him so many times and I'm not reading it. I'm uh, autopiloting this. Yes. And, you know, I kind of felt like I was like an, an undergrad ready for a pop quiz. Like I looked down, like, I like this thing, sweetie. Like <laughs> I made up something in the moment and just kept going. But it was such a wake up call because yeah. it really brought on this feeling of if I'm checked out now when he's this tiny, I mean, how will I ever be able to be there for him when, mm-hmm. when challenges get even more, more intense? So anyway, this is all to say that it really pivoted my research interest to understanding how we can make our ability to pay attention strengthened and stress-proof. And that led me sort of to where I am now, which is incorporating innovative techniques to train attention. I, one, connect with that story so deeply, <laughs> like you're speaking to me. I have a two and a half year old. And, you know, I think too, I was literally just thinking about this the other day because we talk about balance so much and presence so much. And I think that those are two catchphrases specifically for working moms these days, but they also kind of invite guilt into our lives. If we're like, am I not present enough? Am I not balanced enough? And I remember when I had my daughter, being so freaked out because everyone says, you know, it, you blink and they're older and and all these things. And, and I remember just like staring at her little eyelashes and being like, am I present enough? Am I present right now? Am I going to remember everything about this? And I think that mindfulness, when we think about, you know, attention span and, and being there and just being mindful with where we are at, wherever it is, wherever our feet are planted, I think it can almost induce this anxiety within ourselves of like, am I doing it right? Especially especially for the performers out there in the world. Do you agree with this? Oh my goodness. I love that you're asking this question. I can't even tell you. It's also such a different moment in time right now. Yeah. Then yeah. when I was, this was my journey began about 17 years ago. My son's almost 20 now. And 
the idea of mindfulness was not on my radar. It was not an yes. culture. So I was at a different point where I had no idea what tools to even go to. Yeah. And then what I realized, I did discover mindfulness. I actually got to the point where I got so intrigued by it and so benefited by it that I said, I'm going to study this. I'm going to bring this to the lab and I'm going to pivot my research program to not just understand how this thing works in the brain, but how to offer it to high stress, time pressured people like I felt I was. So, you know, fast forward to today and what you're saying that now it is this cultural buzzword and many people know what it is sort of conceptually. It's like, be here now, you know, show up in your life. But I think the thing that's missing for many of us is, well, how do I train myself to do this by default so that I can be here? It's a desire I have, but I don't know how to get here. And that's really why I was motivated to write my book, which was essentially, how do we make this accessible for all of us? And, you know, one of the kind of the subtitles is really find your focus, own your attention in 12 minutes a day. And it was that 12 minutes that I was pursuing. What's the minimum effect of mindfulness training that we might be able to offer people like me and you busy moms that are trying to make it all work and, and be at the top of our own game professionally and personally, because we don't have an inordinate amount of time and we can't always go away on a month long spa vacation to kind of chill out. So that's what I would say is the right one of the answers is we don't have to leave it to chance and we don't have to demand this of ourselves. We can add in a form of mental exercise for, you know, the daily dozen of, of mindfulness and we can have better access to our own minds, which is, I think, what we all want. Oh, I agree so much. And I'm excited to dig into some of the like strategies that you teach behind that, because I think so many of us are hungry for this. And I was actually just speaking with my mom yesterday. So my mom, you would love her. You would love her. She goes to mindfulness retreats and silent retreats. And it's been amazing because she's literally the most mindful person I know. However, she continues to focus on that. That's just a really big focus of her life. And I'm so inspired by that. But we were speaking about yesterday, how nowadays children aren't even able to get bored. It's like they're distracted and bored because people just hand them screens. And and my mom was just telling this story about, you know, one-year-olds at the DMV who are scrolling on a phone better than she could. <laughs> and we were just talking about, you know, this importance of, of figuring out, you know, how do we think through things and what does creativity look like? And I think I think about it so much as a mom to a toddler, when you see all of these things that might be different than from when we were children. And so I'm curious because it, it's something that I'm focused on within my daughter but I think a lot of times we forget about ourselves in that. Mm -hmm. And so can we, like, is it possible to strengthen? And I believe the answer is yes, but I want to hear it from you. Is it possible to actually strengthen our ability to be present and more mindful? Like, where do we begin on that journey? Because I think it's something we all want. The good news is yes, we can. (laughs) Very good news. And it was not a simple prescription. I mean, these practices, mindfulness meditation has been around for for millennia. And in fact, you know, my own culture, I, I grew up in a Indian family and I saw my parents meditate. One of my earliest memories is actually waking up kind of bleary eyed, you know, toddling into my parents' room and like seeing the bed made and my dad on the bed meditating. Like I was just, this is just part of what was in my cultural life, but I never thought it would be something I'd want to do. And it was certainly not something I thought would be something as a professional, you know, Western trained scientist could be of value. But what I've come to understand is that there's a reason these practices have stood the test of time. 
And a lot of our challenge these days from the science point of view, and in particular, the kind of work we're pursuing in my lab is how do we make those accessible for all of us in a way that we can actually incorporate into our lives? That's one very big point is that, yes, we can do it. And there's a specific way we can, a set of things we can do, like a exercise routine for the mind to get us there. But I wanted to bring it back to something you said, because I think it's so interesting. I, I love what your mom's insight regarding something that I don't think is a problem just for one-year-olds. Yes, yes. <laughs> too much screen time. Yes. And there is a real cost to that. This, by the way, is separate from mindfulness training. I think mindfulness training would promote a better understanding and better control in order to, to do what I'm about to talk about. But what I'm talking about now is sort of a different aspect of our attention system, which is when we want to and need to let it roam free. Yes. So all those things you just mentioned, you know, creativity, decision-making, like deliberating, like just having thoughts and letting your mind roam in this kind of generative way, we miss out on all those opportunities because whenever we have a free moment, we don't let spontaneous thought arise. We grab our phones. And whether we like to think of it this way or not, that is just overloading us with tasks. You might think, oh, well, you know, scrolling on Instagram is not a task. I'm just doing that for leisure. But actually, from an attentional point of view, you are engaging your attention. You are constraining your brain's information processing. And now the responsibility of your brain is to take in that content. And then the next image and then the next thing. And, you know, determining who responded to your comments or why do you have this notification or the ding of your phone when you have a text message. I mean, all of these things that are just part of modern life are actually attentional tasks that could tire us. And in fact, mm -hmm. they do. <laughs> so the key, I think, is to understand that that white space, that spontaneous thought space, and what you even described as boredom or your mom described as boredom is so valuable. And we are yes. missing out on that. We are yes. missing out on that for ourselves and our children. It makes me think of how I was just talking to some friends and we were talking about how we always have our best thoughts in the shower. And I was like, that's because we're not distracted, right? Like, like all we've got to do is things that we can do without really thinking too hard about them. But even last night I took a bubble bath and I'm like, I, I just always feel so inspired in here because my hands aren't busy. My eyes aren't scrolling. And it's like, how do we, you know, I think it's up to us to invite in more of those experiences so that we can continue to find that white space. Because I think white space is almost non-existent, specifically for women and working women and mothers. Yeah. Um, and so it's like this, this yearning that I think we all have, but when we get it, we don't even know what to do with it. So let's talk, let's break down this 12 minute thing. Cause I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. 12 minutes, I can commit to 12 minutes. So <laughs> walk me through, how did you land on 12 minutes and where do we begin? Yeah, yeah. So the 12 minutes comes from the amount of time that we came to understand we should practice specific mindfulness exercises. Okay. And we started out, by the way, you know, the notion of mindfulness training. And like I said, it has a very, very long history. But then probably, you know, in the early 70s and mid 70s, it began becoming popular in the US. And there was a, a very now well known program called Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction that was developed by one of my dear colleagues and mentors, John Kabat-Zinn, in a medical context. So it was to help chronic pain patients. That program was the first time that somebody took these 
broad contemplative practices from the world's wisdom tradition, in particular Buddhism, and turned them into actionable learning tools where somebody could go into this clinic, take a course for eight weeks, and be asked to practice 45 minutes a day for that eight-week course. And the results were very, very promising. Benefits to the mind, Mm -hmm. benefits to the body, benefits to relationships. And so you know, as I mentioned before, my interest when I joined this whole enterprise of let's study mindfulness, which was career suicide, frankly, when I started, they're like, you're doing what? (laughs) You're studying mindfulness? But I was committed to not only understanding how it might work with regard to the brain and the tension, but offering it to high stress people. So we work with really some of the most high stress people I can imagine. It started out with medical and nursing professionals who literally are aspiring to be attending physicians, but have no access to their own attention. And then we moved on to military service members, elite athletes, you know, first responders, a whole host of groups where time is precious and the demands are high. In fact, in some of these cases, where your attention is can have life and death consequences. So the first thing I realized is like, okay, asking people to do 45 minutes a day that are in these lives, and by the way, I would include you and me and probably every person listening to this podcast is time pressured, you know, professionals that cannot do 45 minutes a day and escape from the pressures and demands of their life. <laughs> I mean, I can't even, you know, I remember when my kids were young, I couldn't even go to the bathroom without little fingers sticking under the door. <laughs> like, right. You know, so <laughs> thankfully that's not happening to me anymore, but I'm sure it's probably still happening for you, but we don't have that time. So what I became interested in doing is like, let's get, let's take a systematic approach and find out how low can we go. So let's start with asking them to take an eight week course and let's cut the time frame down so it's not two and a half hours a week like mindfulness-based stress reduction was requiring, which is wonderful. And if people have the time, they should definitely do it. But we cut it down to something like 24 hours over eight weeks. Then we cut it down further to 16 hours and then down to eight hours and then down to four hours. And this is the formal amount of time people learn sort of the suite of practices. I love that you were approaching these people in situations that maybe didn't recognize the gift of mindfulness. And one of my biggest questions that I have and something that I found about myself is that when I know that something can benefit me, whether it's, you know, eliminating gluten from my diet or drinking more water, when I understand how it can positively benefit me, I feel like I go all in with a different type of force. And so since so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs or business owners or side hustlers. Can you maybe walk us through how mindfulness could help impact their businesses positively? Absolutely. And I think it starts where, you know, you started, which is as a leader, how do I ensure that I'm fully present to my own life so that I can guide what's going on? And I mentioned that I study the, the brain's attention system. Well, one of those systems is called executive functions. And maybe that's something that, you know, given the neuroscience uh, geek out that sometimes your listeners like to do with you, maybe it's come up. This notion of executive functions, it's like the brain's juggler, I like to think of it. And I feel like often we are all jugglers, especially as leaders in our enterprises. And the broadest thing I'll say is your attention fuels your leadership. It Mm -hmm. is the thing that allows you to do every single thing that you do. And I really mean everything. So for example, we need our attention to think really, to deliberate, to consider, to have what we call counterfactual thinking, where we're kind of debating with ourselves of things that could be otherwise. So we needed to not just think, but to feel 
our ability to basically regulate our emotions is tied to our attention. And what I mean by regulate emotions is not sort of suppress or deny, but ensure that the way we are expressing our emotions to others and ourselves is proportionate and appropriate for the situation. So for example, and I remember many times when I didn't feel like I was having a proportionate response, like on a normal day, if everything's going pretty okay, if you, you know, spill a cup of coffee, you probably wouldn't break down in tears, right? You'd be like, oh, that's annoying. <laughs> right. But there are definitely days when it puts you over the edge and you're like, I just can't take it. The world is against me. That would be where you can like cue in that, oh, maybe my attention is actually depleted because I'm not regulating in a way that makes sense for me. And then sort of in addition to thinking and feeling, the other thing that we need our attention for is connecting. And that, especially as leaders, is so important to be able to pay attention to others, to be be able to pay attention to the cohesion we have within our team and to extend empathy and perspective taking when we need to. So if we need our attention for all of these things, thinking, feeling, connecting, and the thing that I haven't said yet, but I, I think might be obvious from everything I've said regarding, you know, my own journey, stress depletes attention demands deplete attention, which is why I was so interested in working with high stress leaders because, and, you know, all kinds of high stress groups, because we, as those on the leadership edge are always at the edge. We will always be operating and needed when there are crises, when there are sort of consequential decisions that need to be made. Those are the exact circumstances that can deplete attention. So the great news is that there are ways in which we can train our attention to be more mindful in this kind of present centered way. And when we allow ourselves to do that, to pay attention with this notion of not editorializing and have it be very present centered, we begin to notice a lot of stuff. We begin to notice our biases, our expectations, the stories we've got, the mental models we have. We begin to pay attention to our own bodies and the feedback we're getting from our own bodies. And with all of that, we have more, not only data, but the opportunity to make better informed choices regarding what to do next. So I absolutely think that not only is it important for leaders to know, and that's really all of us because we are leading our lives no matter what our profession, but I understand most of the people listening to this podcast have genuine high demand responsibilities. Our attention is precious, it's powerful, but it's vulnerable. And that vulnerability is not something to ignore, it's something to train for so that you can essentially ensure you have access to your own peak mind. A brand new year. I'm not even sure how we got here so fast, but I am wildly grateful for another year with this podcast and of course with you. In this season of new beginnings, making a lasting impact on our businesses and customers is more important than ever. If you haven't already implemented a CRM platform into your business, well, now is the time. CRM or customer relationship management is at the heart of turning your side hustle into your success story and your customers into your fans. Reach your customers wherever, whenever with ease, thanks to HubSpot's intuitive visual workflows and bot builders. You'll create scalable automated marketing campaigns across email, social media, web, and customer chat so that your customers hear your messages loud and clear. A HubSpot CRM platform adapts your content for multiple device types so your customers have a great experience no matter where they're viewing it. 
Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM platform at HubSpot.com. Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. So when we talk about training, I'm like all in on this like couch to 5k type methodology. (laughs) If we're starting at the very beginning of the starting line and saying, okay, I want to be more mindful. What is a practice that we could start incorporating in so that we can check in with ourselves more, create more of that white space, kind of analyze how we're making decisions both in our lives and businesses and with our families? Like, where do we begin? Sure, sure. And that goes back to the 12 minutes that we were talking about earlier. I want to describe a practice for you. And then I'm going to actually give you like a, what I call, especially with our military guys, a hip pocket practice, like something you just take with you on the go. Yeah. No special tools required. You don't even need to close your eyes to do the second one. So let's talk about the kind of one of the foundational practices or the core workout. And the really cool thing about this practice is it's like a threefer. You can exercise all three main systems of attention through this one practice. And in my book, I describe not just this practice, but a whole suite of practices that allow us to kind of do cross-training for our attention system to strengthen it fully. So if this one doesn't float your boat, you can always check out other opportunities and other ways you can practice as well. But here's, here's a very straightforward one, and it's called mindfulness of breathing. I call it the find your flashlight practice because I think of attention as really our mind's flashlight. Wherever it is that we we shine this flashlight, we get better access to information. And oftentimes our flashlight gets yanked around by the, you know, <laughs> external stimuli in our <laughs> lives or our own mind wandering. So so here's what you do. Just find a comfortable kind of quiet place to get started on this and dedicate, you know, set your timer on your on your phone for let's say 12 minutes. But if you're just starting out, make it really a low bar, maybe a minute. And what you're going to do for this minute is to sit comfortably in an upright and sort of dignified posture. And what I mean by that is sort of upright, not uptight. So you want to really take this seriously and you have that stance, but you want to be relaxed in your confidence. And for the period of time you're going to practice, you're going to pay attention to breath-related sensations. 
So just allow yourself, and we can even do it now. Let's just do it together. So sit in an upright posture, kind of confident, yet calm, and allow yourself just, first of all, start out by noticing your body breathing, which we rarely do. And now what I want you to do is just take that flashlight of your attention and point it to very specific and maybe the most prominent breath-related sensations. So it could be for you, maybe the coolness of air moving in and out of your nostrils, or maybe it's your abdomen moving in and out, your shoulders, whatever it is on your own body where you say, ah, when I breathe, I feel this body part, this sensation most strongly. And you're just going to set the flashlight directed toward those sensations just for a few more seconds and then we'll keep going. So you're just breathing and paying attention. And if it hasn't happened already, it surely will. You'll notice that your mind has a mind of its own. It's wandered somewhere else. It's not on the breath anymore. It's to some thought you've had, or maybe you heard your cell phone, you know, vibrate, whatever it is. When you notice that your mind has wandered away from these breath-related sensations, Simply take that flashlight of attention and direct it back to the breath. And then in the next moment or two, when you feel ready, go ahead and you can open your eyes and you know, return to your regular regular life. So, and I don't think I necessarily said you, you need to close your eyes, but it does often help to keep the, the stimuli kind of limited. So what do we do in that practice? We did a little workout for our attention. And often my military colleagues call this, oh, Misha, you gave us push-ups for the mind. <laughs> because what we had to do was, first of all, realize, oh, I have an attention capacity. It is directed somewhere. And here for this period of time, I'm going to dedicate it to being directed toward the breath. And then I'm going to keep like a watchful eye. I'm going to just monitor for where the heck it is. And then when I notice that it's not on task, I'm going to bring it back to where I want it to be. And this, the reason it becomes a push-up is because we're focusing, we're noticing, and we're redirecting. And by doing that rep over and over again, and you know, it would be a thousands of times over the course of 12 minutes that you might have to bring your attention back, bring your attention back. You're strengthening the capacity to do all three of those things. Keep your focus, notice where your mind is, and then redirect it back to where you want it. And that ends up being a game changer because it adds to the fuel, your attentional fuel, to really direct your life in the way you'd like. Oh, that's so... One, it just feels good to just sit down and breathe, right? Like, welcome. Yeah. Um, but two, I love that you said, you know, it could be thousands of times that you're just redirecting because I think a lot of times people want to meditate or they want to be more mindful and they just think I'm not good at that. And so they give up. Right. And I think it's just so beautiful how you illustrate it. It's not about getting it right. There is no right here. It's just about paying attention. And I think that that almost gives us permission to be terrible at it because it's not really something we're graded on anyways. Right. <laughs> the effort can really produce that outcome if we stick with it. Yeah. Here's the, here's the data. 50% of our waking moments, our mind is, and our attention is not where we want it to be. It's not at the task at hand. Yeah. That's the baseline that we mind wander incessantly, constantly in every aspect of our lives. So you should just 
forget, drop the whole expectation that your mind's just going to behave and be your attention's going to be where you want. <laughs> the practice, and actually, the more you wander, actually, in some ways, the better, because every time you wander and notice it, that's a win. Yeah. That's the win. And in our yeah. daily lives, it's not about keeping the flashlight just focused and unwavering. It's about returning back over and over again. And the only way we can do that is if we notice where our mind is moment by moment. So I would say it's an even better workout when our mind is particularly, you know, wandering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so wait, I want to know the second exercise, the okay, opposite right. so one. This, I'm ready for this. <laughs> yeah, so the, the second one is is something, and it's very commonly used. We use it in all of our training programs. And one I describe in the book as well, it's called the STOP practice. So it's an acronym in and of itself. But think about doing the STOP practice whenever you're stopped. If you drive, at a stop sign. If you don't drive, when you're waiting for a bus, waiting for the elevator, you know, on a walk, waiting to cross the street, whatever it is, there are many times in our lives where we are physically stopped. And in those moments, think of this practice. So what does it stand for? Well, the first letter S is stop, like literally stop moving. But also think about that more broadly of what it means to stop. It might mean stop the incessant chatter in your mind for these, for these few seconds. So stop. The T is take a breath. So just one breath. Let's do it now. O is observe. What's going on right now? Just in this moment, right now, what is happening? What's happening around you? What's happening within you? And then P, proceed. Keep going. So that S-T-O-P ends up being such a great thing to keep around. And, you know, I even have little stickers made that say stop on it to put on my, <laughs> to put on my door. <laughs> we have them all over the lab because this is just like micro moments where we can kind of return back to remembering, oh yeah, I've got an attention system. I can have some control over this. I have the capacity to notice and I can use this to my advantage. Oh, that is so good. I literally took my daughter on a little walk before school today and we were reading STOP on the stop sign. So I'm like, I will think of you every single day now, oh. Dr. Amishi, when I go on my walk. <laughs> I think that's amazing. And I, I think it's super simple and something that really can also invite in more white space. Okay. So Dr. Amishi, I have a question. So recently we had a guest on our podcast. Her name is Tracy Otsuka and she was incredible. And she was speaking about ADHD and I was just interviewing her because I was really curious about it, but come to find out there's probably a very good chance that I actually have ADHD myself. Both Tracy and I spoke about it. And then my entire family started a conversation about it. And it really made me dig into neurodivergence and what it looks like to think differently and how our brain process differently. And so when it comes to mindfulness and neurodivergence, are the strategies the same? Are the techniques the same? What does that look like for us with maybe a little bit different of an operating system when it comes to our brain? Yeah. You know, that's the cool thing about attention. It is all of these functions, the ability to focus, the ability to notice and the ability to manage or redirect what we're talking about with executive functions, they're all on a continuum. Some of us are really good at some aspects and not so good at others. And we have kind of set points, you could say. So when we think of something like ADD, it is a, it's in some sense, a dysregulation out of a normal range, which doesn't, by the way, mean that you can't focus. It means not you, Jenna, just yes. in general. In general. <laughs> it means that you either have a tendency toward one end of the continuum or the other. So hyper focus 
or potentially a flashlight that moves around a lot. And one of the challenges with having a flashlight that moves around a lot is that we end up experiencing mind wandering, where it feels like the kind of goals and behavior can't align. We're making errors. Our decision making may seem sort of not fully informed. I mean, and that can happen. And many patients with ADD often can suffer if they have a lot of mind wandering. But the very interesting thing within even patients that have ADD is that those that have a lot of mind wandering, but also another thing that I want to talk to you about called meta-awareness. So they have mind wandering, but they have this thing called meta-awareness. They don't have as many problems or functional difficulty in their lives. And it ends up that mindfulness training targets strengthening meta-awareness. So the short answer to your question is yes, mindfulness training can be very helpful And the reason it can be helpful, one of the reasons at least, is that it cultivates this thing called meta-awareness, which just plainly speaking, is our awareness of where our mind is moment by moment so that we understand sort of the content and processes of of what's happening in our minds. And so with patients that have ADD, they may mind wander, but then they have that aha moment of, oh, I'm not on task. Let me get back. And so doing that over and over again seems to be protective. As you can kind of already tell, that's exactly what we're doing in a mindfulness of breathing practice, this find your flashlight practice. So yes, it's very helpful. In studies that we've done, and and there's many people that are starting to pursue this, but we did a study really right at the early start of when I was starting this work. It was, again, you know, I told you about my own crisis of attention while my husband was having his own crisis of attention. Not only did we have small children too at that point, he had started grad school, was working a full-time job and we purchased a hundred year old house, a fixer upper. So (laughs) we were all on this edge, but he was getting very kind of frustrated because he couldn't kind of access his mind to be a student. He was in a demanding computer science program and was taking this sort of high level linear math sequence and was like, I just can't get my mind to focus. So at that same time, we were doing a study with mindfulness training in adults with ADD. And I said, hey, just join in, just sort of just to see what the practices are like. And remember, we talked about 12 minutes a day. That's sort of the, the sweet spot for most people. And that's from study after study that finds 12 to 15 minutes a day, about three to five days a week is a really good workout. But with these adults with ADD, including at that point, my husband joining in, we started really, really slow. We started with one minute of practice. We built up at the end of that eight-week training program to about 12 minutes. And we made the practices a lot more active. So wouldn't be try- we wouldn't ask people to just sit quietly with their eyes closed. We'd say, do a walking meditation. Now make the sensations of walking the focus of where your attention should be. Notice when your mind wanders, gently return it. So making it active, starting out with a slower on-ramp, both seem to be very helpful to people. And what was so cool, because, you know, I would say we could talk about neurodivergence and maybe even sort of challenges with ADD, but I will tell you that after this study, I have never received so many creative expressions Mm -hmm. of gratitude for this study. I mean, just the most creative, I've never, usually participants don't give researchers (laughs) gifts, but there was so much gratitude because so many people said, you know, I haven't even changed the amount of medication I take, but I know where my mind is. I don't take my Adderall and then sit in front of my computer playing video games. I can realize I'm more meta aware that I'm not doing the thing I want to be doing and I can get back on track. And that meant so much to me just from being able to do that, kind of have that impact on people's lives and giving them the tools that could be lifelong, including my own husband, who actually, just like your mom, ended up going on a lot more 
meditation retreats than I've been able to get away. I know what it's like to feel completely thrown off your game because you're just not motivated or your mind isn't in the right space. That's why I'm thrilled to tell you all about superhuman activations. Now, if meditation isn't for you, you need to try activations instead. Activations are a groundbreaking new type of audio that's this mix of a motivational podcast, cinematic music, and guided visualization. They are fundamentally different from meditation and a lot more exciting to listen to. Instead of calming you, activations are motivating, energizing, and transformative. You'll reach your goals faster whether you want to earn more money, get clarity, achieve a health goal, or feel like you're reaching your highest potential. They're essentially a shortcut to get to where you want to be and the ultimate way to visualize your future self. And you can only find them on the superhuman app. I use and love superhuman and find myself playing activation several times a day, whether I'm baking bread, doing my skincare, or even when I'm in the shower. Superhuman offers something completely different to other apps out there. And I cannot wait for you to try them. Take advantage of their 14 day free trial and head over to activations.com forward slash gold digger to start your trial and save over 60% off your membership. There is literally no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The discount is only available through their website, not the app store. So visit activations.com forward slash gold digger now for over 60% off. Do not miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts and it expires soon. That's activations.com forward slash gold digger. Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Yes, I know. I'm like, mom, that sounds amazing. Like a day of silence. What? You wear a sticker and nobody talks to you? Sounds amazing. I love that. And I think it's it's so powerful just because I think there's so many different ways that we can just introduce small bits of practice into our lives, even just driving without music on or going on a walk without bringing our phone along. There's so many little ways that we can start to incorporate it that will train us so that when we get into the thick of things or the stressful places or the decision-making times, we're able to shine the flashlight on the right thing and not question our ability to do so. Exactly. And what I really, the real spirit behind why I wanted to write this book, Peak Mind, is that I wanted to take everything that we knew from our, you know, multiple years, 15 years of research and distill it down so that it was available for everybody. Yeah. So that there could be this broader understanding of how I do this and even providing sort of a, a guided practice schedule so that people can begin their journey immediately. Tell me more about your book. I'm so excited to dig into it. Walk me through a little bit of what someone can expect if they pick it up. And I really hope our listeners do. Oh, me too. <laughs> but really, it's because I'm excited to share this with many more people. The book is really the journey. It kind of parallels my own personal journey with mindfulness, but also the journey of our of our research in which we started understanding the powerful nature of attention. And we talked a little bit about that, why it is so critical and fuels our ability to be successful. But a big chunk of the book really also wants to make clear, let's know what our vulnerabilities are. When does attention get compromised? Let's become aware of what the tendencies of mind are that can actually disable us. What are our current behaviors that might actually not be working to our advantage, including something like multitasking, which we can certainly talk about. And then I really want to pivot toward not just the powerful nature of attention or its vulnerabilities, but its trainability. And then I provide a very, in my view, informed sort of minimum effective dose, no nonsense way of busy people to start incorporating practice daily and a four week on ramp to do that. Mm. I love how you make it so applicable because I know how deep your science and research and all of your knowledge goes. And so I think it's a real gift for you to be able to take all of your knowing and give it to us everyday folk who are curious or who are desiring this more mindful life. Before we sign off, if somebody wants to pursue a mindfulness practice, like where can they learn more from you? Obviously pick up Dr. Jaw's book, Peak Mind, but where else can they learn from you? Yeah. And the, I would invite anyone that wants to learn more about what we're up to and the kind of research that we do and programs that we have available to visit my website. And I try to make that easy too. Just my first name, Amishi, A-M-I-S-H-I.com. Amazing, Amishi. Thank you so much for just kind of opening our eyes. I think that, you know, nowadays there is this desire for presence and mindfulness. And I think we're way more awake to the fact that we are generally not present and not mindful. But I love how you've given us the tools, the tips, the strategies, and things that we can literally implement into our lives in 12 minutes or less if we're just starting out a day. And I'm just so grateful for all of your knowledge that you shared today. Thank you so much. And I'm so grateful for your interest and whatever your brain is, I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I can't wait to dig into your book. I don't know about you, but literally just sitting there thinking about breathing felt like a breath of fresh air, something that we need to invite into our lives more often. And 
I think for so many of us, we feel this pressure to be present. We want to be present. We desire it, but we don't really know what that means or how to do it or what it looks like. I love Dr. Amishi Jha's illustration of the flashlight. Where are we pointing it? Is it pointing at the right things? How do we redirect when we realize we've lost our focus? Her tactical advice is something that we can all apply today, even if it's just for a minute. But I love that we can start to take action to not only be a more mindful generation, but to raise up the next mindful generation. I am so grateful for this podcast, for giving me the platform to interview incredible, brilliant people like Dr. Mishi Jha. And I'm even more grateful for you for tuning into today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. I pray that you have a more mindful and present day today. Until next time, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home, and thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.